0: If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. All right. Awesome. How is everybody doing? Good. Well, you better be after that. I mean, come on. If you're not, we need to pray for you. Thank you, Father. So, uh, Aiden's going to be doing the, my sermon um, scripture verses today. So if it's awesome, you know who to thank. So, all right. So today I wanted to talk about where God commands his blessing or the place where God commands his blessing. Isaiah fifty five ten through 11. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. How many of you have ever seen that happen? Okay, snow pretty soon, right? They cause the, (laughs) Ruben's like, amen. Uh, They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. So do you see this cycle? You see how this works? It is the same way with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper wherever I send it. Come on. How many of you believe that if God commands something to happen, it will happen? Okay? That if he commands it, there is nothing in this universe that can withstand it or withhold it from coming to pass. Am I preaching to two people today? Right? Right? So it would make perfect sense to partner with what he's doing, right? But many times we miss the mark because we're praying and we're pleading with God to bless the things that we're doing. When if we would just partner with what he's doing and what he is saying, guess what? If he says it, right, if you believe it, if he says it, It will come to pass because what does scripture say? It says it will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So I'm not saying that we can't ask God to bless things that we're doing, but I would say it might be good to say in this moment, what are you asking me to do? What are you saying? Like when Laura was talking this morning, she was like all trying to go like, I need to pray, I need to do this, and he's like, rest, right? And so when we obey what he is saying, when we partner with his word, guess what? We can, we can expect a harvest. Come on. But we get caught up in saying, God, please bless what I'm doing. When he's already, if he said it, it's going to happen. Does this make sense? So when God commands, so where does God command his blessing? Well, God commands his blessing when his people are unified and in one accord. You can see that in Psalms 133, and we'll get to that later. But we also know from John 17, I have given them the glory you gave me. So this is Jesus talking, so that they may be one as we are one. So there is a glory that God reserves for us when we are one. Are you guys following this? There is another level of glory when we are unified. And we'll see in Psalms 133 that he commands... A blessing when we are in unity. And we discovered if he says it, it will happen. Come on. So unity is not the result of happenstance or chance. It's not by accident. It's not by surprise. It's not like we bump into it and like, whoa, we're in unity. Right? Right? Unity is something that requires cultivation and that's really a nice way of saying it takes work and effort. How many of you know that it takes work to be unified? If you're not sure then you're probably not in unity. <laughs> because it takes work, it takes effort. And sure there are moments of unity in the spirit like we just had today. There was a there was a sense of unity in the house today. And sure, that can happen in the spirit. And and how many of you know that we can have a strong sense of unity with acquaintances? You like this, I like that. I love that, you love that, I love that. And then we're buddies, right? And there's this strong sense of unity and then you invite them over for the weekend and then you're ready for them to go, right? <laughs> you're like, I kind of know them now, right? So how many of you know, like, With an acquaintance, unity can be easy. But unity is not always easy when you live together. Now, this isn't a marriage sermon, but it can apply to that. So I'm talking about family members. I'm talking about your local church body. I'm talking about coworkers. So I'm talking about encouraging and development of unity with people you do life with. But listen to this. What does he say? He commands blessing when there's unity. And actually, in Genesis, there was unbelieving, heathen people that got together and said, we're going to build a tower. And what did God say? He came and said, look, they're speaking the same language. What is he saying? They're on the same page. And if I don't break this up, there's nothing that they cannot do. In a group of unbelievers being in unity. Come on. So some of you may think that it's impossible, but that is the place where God has commanded his blessing. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. I love this because Paul is reinforcing their behavior. He's encouraging them. He's emboldening them to continue in their efforts. So this reveals two things to me. The first thing that it reveals is that it's important. As a parent, my children don't like it, but I, I will repeat myself over and over again. Why? Because it's important, right? Like when you're done, put the dish in the sink. Oh, dad, I know. No, you don't know because I've told you 400 times. So we know that Paul is saying this because it's important, right? But we also know he's saying it because it requires consistency. He says, I know you're already doing it, but continue to do it. Come on. So the cultivation of life-giving relationships is a continual process that is not just a once-and-done action. We just kind of got through the weed season of summer, and how many of you know you picked them, and you go out there a couple days later, and they're new friends. They're hanging out together, right? So cultivation is not a one, hey, I picked the weeds for the summer. I should be good. No, right? It's a continual process. And it's the same way with life-giving relationships. If you want them to be healthy and life-giving, you have to continually cultivate them because guess what? Weed seeds will pop up very quickly. So what is the value of unity? Unity. You see, you won't be intentional about doing something unless you place value on it. Why, why don't my children want to put the dish in the sink? Because they don't place value in it. But guess what I do? So I encourage them and I remind them. And so we will not be intentional about doing something if we don't place value on it. If you don't see the value that comes in being in unity, you will never work on it. Psalms 133.1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I love how this verse begins because it begins with behold, which means to take notice of this. It means to pause and to gaze at it. Come on. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So this demonstration of unity is worthy of our admiration and imitation. How many of you know if you look at something long enough, you're going to become like it? It says how good and how pleasant it is. Not everything that is good is pleasant. Do you realize that? How many of you, well, some of you might like it. But vegetables aren't always pleasant, but they're good, right? They're good for you. But not everything that is pleasant is good, right? Sometimes we would like to do things that would not be very good. So, not everything that is good is pleasant, and not everything that is pleasant is good. But the cool thing about this is unity actually binds them together. What does it say? It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is. Do you see how they're together? Good means to be agreeable to the senses. It means excellent of its kind. It means valuable, appropriate, becoming, happy, prosperous, right. So it's not just good, but it's right. But pleasant means delightful, sweet, lovely. So unity is not only prosperous, but it's delightful. How many of you know if you've ever had to deal with your finances, it's not always pleasant? but it's good. But unity is both good and it's pleasant. Are you guys seeing this? It's not only right and valuable, but it's also sweet and lovely. It's not only good for you, but it's sweet. Now think of unity in this way. If you would take vegetables that you hate, but then you made them taste like your favorite dessert. That's what unity is. Are you guys seeing this? It is not only good for you, but I want to eat it all the time. (laughs) Does this make sense? So what does the scripture say? Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, I would think or I would wonder if we're going to be in unity, well, who's my brethren, right? And brethren in the Hebrew means brother, relative, kinship, same tribe. But it also is reciprocal relationships. And basically, what that is, it's a relationship that is shared, felt, or shown by both sides mutually corresponding. So it's not just your family, it's people that you are connecting with that it's shared and it's mutual and it's shown on both sides. Well, that's what our covenant. Our, our core value of covenant is the exchange, exchange, right, of healthy life, meaning I give my very best to you and I should expect the very best back from you. Do you guys see this? Figuratively, it means of resemblance. How many of you, I've heard it most of my life, but how many of you, man, you look like your dad, right? You look like your dad. You sound like your mom, but you look like your dad. So that's what it means by uh, of resemblance. So it's part of your DNA, but it's also part cultivation. It's not only that I share the same DNA, right? But it's also that I've been around them my whole life. Right, And that can be true for even being in, the, in this church family. It's funny, like you go to another place and then like, oh, they do it differently or they sound differently or they communicate differently. Well, it's because there's been cultivation of relationship. So in a broad sense, as Christians, we're being conformed into the same image of Christ. So brethren can also be referring to our connection through our faith and grace in Jesus Christ. So if we resemble one another, we should look like Christ, right? So that is our brethren. So who are we responsible to be in unity with? Well, I would suggest it's those that you're connected to. And the deeper and more intimate a connection is, the greater level of unity is required. The type of unity that you're gonna have with your spouse is gonna be different than any other relationship that you have, right? Because the, the relationship is deeper, right? But it requires greater level of unity, right? The unity, now get this, what does the scripture say? It says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together, say dwell together, In unity. So what does that mean? It means unity will be tested. What did I just say earlier? You meet an acquaintance, you're the best buds. And then you spend a weekend with them. And then you're ready for them to go. See, this is not just any brethren. It's people that you do life with. They dwell together. Behold, take notice of this. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren who dwell together to be in unity. Come on. Amos 3.3. 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can we answer that question? Can two walk together unless they're agreed? No, they can Agreement or agreed means to fix upon by agreement. Or let me put it in this way. When they're talking about agreement, they're talking about a target. So if you're aiming at a different target, you won't be able to walk together. If you're not aiming at the same destination, you won't be able to walk together. Now, each and every one of us are different in, in, in multiple ways. So you can still walk on the same path if you are aiming at the same target. So you could be shooting it with a bow and arrow and hit the target. And you can be shooting it with a shotgun and you can hit the target. Does this make sense? So I'm not talking about ways in which we do things. I'm saying, are we aiming at the same target? Amos 3.3, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? This is why it's really important that you know the values and the vision and the heart of this house. Because those things, the core values of this house, the vision of this house, the the code of conduct of this house, what is that? That is the target that we're aiming at. Are you guys seeing this? Now, we might walk walk that journey a little differently, but if we can all be in agreement on that target, guess what? There will be unity. And I'm not saying that there's not. Like Paul said, hey, do it, but I know you're already doing it. That's kind of like what this message is. So the foundation of all unity is agreement. Maxwell, uh, um, I'm changing their names to protect the innocent. Uh, Maxwell, you know, sometimes he gets an attitude. And, um, but this is something that we talked about before, and we talked about what type of house do we want to live in? And the answer was, we want to live in a happy house. Wow. So when he gets a thing, and he, he doesn't throw things as much anymore. Like, if I get home and the chairs were knocked down, something must have happened. So I'll go in, and I'll say, what type of house do we want? A happy house. So is this attitude and behavior is that making this, a house, this house a happy house or not happy house? Not happy house. Oh, I said, wow, wow. So, so what are you going to do about that? Change my attitude. And sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes he's like, I'm ready to go back to do what I was doing. And sometimes he needs time to think and process through. But do you see how this works? Because we actually have a target that we want our house to be like this, then I can say, listen, does this behavior match up to our goal that we are all in agreement of? Does this make sense? So that's why I encourage you to listen to the message, read and be familiar with the values and the code of conduct of this house, because then we can say, listen, This is our target. This is what we're aiming for. So why is unity of the brethren so important? Psalms 33, behold, how good. So it's good for you, but it's also pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. So on a personal level, it's good and it's pleasant. But on a kingdom level, the unity of the brethren is a testimony to the world. What does it start out at the very beginning? It says, behold, take notice of this, pause and gaze upon it. So it's not only good for you, right? It's not only pleasant to you, but it's also a testimony to the world. Romans 5, five through six, may God who gives this patience and may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are the benefits of unity? It's good, it's pleasant, and it's a testimony. But this is where it gets better, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. But it says Psalms 33:3. Actually, this Psalms is only three verses. Psalms 33-3. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountain of Zion for the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. So this verse teaches us two vital truths. The first one is God commands his blessing when believers live together in unity. And the cool thing about this is most of Israel was wilderness or dry, but this mountain the dew would be so heavy that the tents in the morning would actually feel like it rained all night so this this dew was it had tons of it and and so what would happen is the rest of israel might have been dry and arid but this mount was lush and healthy so this is what it's relating to unity so everything around can be dry, and desolate. But because we live in unity, we can have life and healthy relationship together. Does this make sense? So, unity like the dew that makes life prosperous and healthy. And so, and that's what I was talking about earlier, we believe in the exchange of life. The second thing that this verse tells us is living together in unity is a foretaste of heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray, Matthew six ten. your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it's in heaven, we can taste it here on earth, okay? So it's not just talking about healing. It's not just talking about deliverance. It's not just talking about signs and wonders. It's not just talking about prosperity, spirit, soul, and body, but a taste of unity here on earth. We can taste it here on earth. Come on. And guess what? That's where God commands his blessing. If we're going to live in unity, we must choose to do it. Remember what I said before, unity doesn't happen by happenstance. It's not because of chance or by accident or surprise. It's not like, whoa, I didn't expect that. We're in unity. Unity is something that requires cultivation and intentionality, meaning doing it on purpose. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep, whoa, Make every effort to keep the oneness of the spirit in the bond of peace. Each individual working together to make the whole successful. How do we make unity work in this house? Each and every person in this house has a responsibility to walk in unity. It's your responsibility. Just like it's Aiden's responsibility to put the blade in the sink. Your responsibility in this house is to be in unity. Come on. Thank you for those three amens. I appreciate that. So the foundation for all Christian unity is in our connection to one spirit. and But for that reality to be experienced, it needs to start with someone expressing it. This is true for any reality of heaven. It requires expression and demonstration. demonstration. Say this with me. I am called to be the expression of unity. If you're waiting for someone else to do it, you're going to be waiting a long time. So just grab a hold of the responsibility that you have and be the one to express it. Have you ever been in a thing that's like, well, who's going to start? And everybody's like, huh. who wants to say something first? Like in class, or like, who wants to do the report first? No one does, right? So my challenge is, to you is you be the first one. Like I said, it's already happening. But like Paul said, I know you're doing it, but do it. Keep on doing it. <laughs> Come on. So unity is a team effort. It requires mutual commitment. And I will say this again, it is impossible to walk in unity if you're not walking in the same direction. It's just impossible. If you're not aiming at the same target, it will not happen. So if you want to be in unity, you have to have a shared value or a shared target. Does this make sense? Like when, when my dad and Raymond go walking, if he's like, I'm feeling um, Dunkin' Donuts, and he's like, well, I'm kind of feeling cuppy's Coffee. And he's like, well, you do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. Guess what? There's no connection on that walk, right? But I think they always agree on Dunkin' Donuts, all right? So they're in agreement, and nothing will shake that, all right? But do you see, see that basic example If they're not in agreement, there won't be connection and there won't be unity. All right. We can't wait for someone else to be the example of things we desire. All right, I'll say it one more time. If you don't get it this time, you're going to have to listen to the sermon again. We can't wait on someone else to be the example of things we desire. So if you desire unity, and you desire encouragement, you be the one to express it. Come on. So unity begins with you. No, literally, it begins with you. You and I, okay, all right. So unity begins with you. Now you'll remember that forever, the rest of your life. What did you get out of this sermon? Unity begins with you. We got it. All right. So let's talk, about, let's talk about the mentality of unity. Philippians two, one through five. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If that verse doesn't kick you in the butt, I don't know what will. And that verse is everything contrary to modern society. So Paul outlines the attitude and mindset that are contrary to unity. Now, I'm going to read this section out of the Passion Translation. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important as yourself. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own, instead of your own interest. So when I saw that, that phrase, pride-filled opinions, jumped out at me. And I said, well, Lord, what is a pride-filled opinion? And these were some things that he gave me. A pride-filled opinion is the overwhelming desire to prove that you're right at the expense of relationship. Come on. What is a pride-filled opinion when my opinion matters more than our relationship? What did he say? These are the things that hinder our cherished unity. A pride-filled opinion believes everybody should have the same opinion, and if they don't, they're either ignorant, uneducated, lacking revelation, and spiritual maturity. And a pride-filled opinion will cause you to judge those around you more harshly. Come on. Now, if this is convicting you awesome. It should convict us all because I think we've all been there, right? Pride-filled opinions limit your perspective only to your opinion. Well, this is the way I see it. Okay, well, there's other perspectives. Pride-filled opinions hinder your ability to empathize with someone else's perspective. But sometimes we feel like we can't do that because if I empathize with your perspective, I'm challenging my own perspective, (laughs) And we feel like we'll diminish the truth that we carry. My truth is more important than understanding what someone else is going through. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Hallelujah. But listen, if we can empathize and sympathize with those around us, it will actually be an open door to actually have influence in their life. Because people, the most important thing that they want in their relationship with you is for you to be right. That's what they want. If you didn't catch that, that was sarcasm. All right. A pitfall that I see many believers fall into is when they get a revelation from the Lord and their first response is to make sure the world around them knows and has that same revelation rather than allowing the revelation to become a part of who they are and from that place it transforms the world around them. My point in this is it took you 37 years to get that revelation and now we're expecting people to get it in two seconds. But if we allow that revelation to become a part of who we are, it will just exude from us. Come on, guys. And from that place of trust, influence influence can begin. I'm not saying that the truth that you carry isn't important or your conviction isn't valid. But if we want to have true impact on the world around us, we have to do it from a place of respect and compassion and understanding and love and these mindsets these pride-filled opinions these mindsets are adversaries to the spirit of unity you can see this three, this theme throughout scripture self-preservation, self-seeking, pride are attitudes we have to confront in ourselves if we're going to walk in unity now I want you guys to get this unity requires a new way of thinking about yourself I'm going to say it again. I'm allowed to say it again because I have the mic. Unity requires a new way of thinking about yourself. If you're going to be in a unified relationship, you're going to have to view yourself a little differently. Does this make sense? Because what happens if you don't, this pride-filled opinion rise up and then they're like, well, they don't think like I do, so. Let's shut them out. No one's ever done that in their whole entire life. I don't know. Must just be preaching to myself. Philippians 2.4, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Unity is the ability to see what is best for the whole, not just what meets your needs. Listen, it is easy to, to originate an idea. How many of you have ideas all the time? But how many of you have the work ethic to make them all come to pass? Come on. Like, I could say, hey, Reuben, like, I need a pool. He doesn't do pools. So maybe I could talk to Reuben and he could do pools. And then I make it real spiritual with them and say, you know, I really feel like there's a water anointing over you right now. <laughs> and... Um, Right, Because I'm looking at my own interests, not the interest of him. Does this make sense? And I can make it sound real spiritual. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit through factual motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, be neither arrogant or self-righteous, regarding others as more important than yourself. So Paul is confronting this mentality of disunity, and he uses the word factual. And a faction is a party or a group that is often argumentative or self-seeking. It's a party spirit, especially when marked by dissension. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, go on the internet for about three seconds, (laughs) I have my tribe, you have your tribe, and we will not cross paths, and we will fire. Aren't you glad you came to church today? If you're going to walk in unity, avoid factions. I'm going to say this again. If you're going to walk in unity, avoid factions. The very nature of a faction is dissension. And I don't think I've ever had a positive conversation with someone as a pastor that started out with, you know, we've been thinking. We've been thinking. How many demons are in you now? (laughs) We've been talking. Come on. Gossip-free zone, baby. If you rally behind a problem, the next natural progression would be to rally behind an offense. But what unifies our relationships? It's love. It's compassion. It's grace. It's affection. It's encouragement. Psalms 133. It's really short. You guys can memorize it. Behold, how good and how pleasant. Come on. Behold, take notice of it, gaze upon it, look at it. Thank you, Father. One of the first signs that we're unwilling to understand someone else's opinion or their perspective is to call them names. Classifying them because of their opinion. And name calling is just classifying people so you don't... So you don't have to, so that you can ultimately dismiss their position. Oh, they're just legalistic. They're controlling. They're immature. They're undisciplined. They're uneducated. They're not perfected in love. They're under the law. Religious name calling undermines unity. Now, I'm not saying that these are happening in our church. I'm just making a statement. All these names might have an element of truth, but if we want to walk in true unity, we have to stop name-calling in the body of Christ. When we classify people by name-calling, we're basically saying their value is centered around the opinion that they hold. And name-calling is just an excuse for not walking in love, compassion, empathy, understanding, and wisdom. Do we have prophetic people in this house? Well, then you can see the good in anyone. Is there a person in your life that seems impossible? What names do you give them? Okay, maybe I should move on from that one. Are there people in your life that seem impossible? Well, what name do you give them? Difficult. I could go through a couple, but I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I want you guys to get this. You will pull out of people what you see in them. You will pull out of people what you see in them. Have you ever seen a relationship Well, they just fight like cats and dogs? They're pulling out what they see in the other person. Are you guys following me? Are you prophetic people in this house? Then you could see the gold in them. Yeah. And if you see the gold in them, you can pull it out. Come on. Are you guys following me? I'm not saying it's not difficult to see it, but I'm saying that you can see it. This is so good. Ephesians four two. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. I want to say this again, making allowances for each other's fault because of your love. Come on. What does unity start with? you. Because of your love. Are you guys seeing this? You know, well, people just need to earn my respect before I give it. They just need to earn it. Have you ever felt that way or heard someone say that? You see, honor has nothing to do with the person you're giving it to. It has everything to do with the type of person you are. Listen, it is so much easier to honor someone that is honorable. Easy. Actually, it's a joy to do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Honor reveals your character, not theirs. Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Dear Jesus, help us. Help us. First Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. There's actually times in Scripture where unity will be translated as harmony. And if you're looking for unity to be a place where everybody thinks the same, you'll never find it. And if you know what harmony is, harmony is, okay, you have like your lead note, and then uh, another singer will come in and sing a different note that kind of fits into the family of that note. I'm trying to make it kind of simple. And then another person maybe takes a higher one, but it's a different note. And what makes it sound so full and unified is, is people coming together and singing something different that creates harmony. Does this make sense? We all have different experiences, different expressions of the goal and different convictions. And then first Peter goes on to say in verse nine, don't repay evil for evil, Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. Are you guys getting this? We sing that song, the Lord bless you and keep you. We're like, "God bless me, Lord, bless me. But he's saying don't repay evil for evil. If someone insults you, bless them. Then it goes on to say, That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Can you put that up again, Aiden? Uh, The next one. There you go. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Say with me, behold, how good and how pleasant it is to dwell in unity. Come on. I feel like the Holy Spirit is already convicting, but I just want to have this time where we can just have a prayer of repentance. It goes down for that. Great. Awesome. So just pray this with me. Father, forgive us when we allowed pride-filled opinions to separate relationships, those that you called us to do life with. Set us free from all bondage of pride and arrogance. Send forth your grace to enable us to live in unity with those around us. Empower us to love as you love, to serve as you serve, to give as you have freely given. Unify us in your love. Let's just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. The beautiful thing about repentance is the grace and the love that is poured out the forgiveness. He's not withholding it. He's already given it. Thank you, Father. So at this time, just ask Holy Spirit, is there an area in my heart where I need to surrender to you? Thank you, Father. Open yourself up to his voice. His truth. Let his love wash over you. Thank you, Father. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just feel like with some of you, there's a lot of built up frustration. And so just, just take a deep breath. Just release it. Cast your cares upon him. Pray this with me. Father, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying and how you see those around me. Thank you, Father. Remember what I said. You will pull out of people what you see in them. So, Father, open our eyes to see them how you see them. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we have the healing teams come up?